I'd literally just had my hair cut and I'm like, oh, this, is, this is my hair. <laughs> but as long as that's not visible on camera, will you let me know if uh, I look like I'm molting? <laughs> We're all right. Welcome everybody to the Big No Podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Akuli, and today I'm with an amazing young man, Will Porter. You will recognize him. He's been on our screens for many years. He is a talented actor, he's an activist. He's a general awesome human being, and I have the pleasure of speaking to him today about his failures, his setbacks, and how he turned those no's into the next opportunity. So welcome, Will Porter. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm it's very excited. an absolute pleasure. <laughs> so would you like to tell us a little bit about how you came into like the whole acting industry? Was that by choice? Was it kind of fell into it? How did that happen? Yeah, it was an interesting one. For as, for as long as I can remember, I had a, an inbuilt fear of failure because everything around me at school pointed towards the fact that I wouldn't succeed. Okay. Um, so nothing that my family ever did or told me kind of, you know, really kind of instilled that, that fear. It was more that I found myself in, a, in an environment, and this is no real fault of the school either, where I just, I just didn't really fit. Mm -hmm. Because according to all the academic metrics and the standard measures of, you know, what is intelligent, mm -hmm. I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't getting grades. I wasn't good in exams. I didn't have, you know, test technique. I didn't necessarily you know, memorize information. Well, unless it was food related, I can memorize memory uh, menus today. Like I can take one look at a menu and, and tell you everything in it. But all of these things meant that I was sort of, I felt somewhat trapped at school and, and I developed a lot of anxiety very early on. I joke with my mum that I had like a sort of quarter year, like a, a quarter life crisis, sorry, mm. you know, because at the age of 12, 13, I was already in a full-on panic about really? what I was going to do when I left school. Yeah, uh -huh. I just didn't, okay. I didn't, I didn't see any signs that there was even an opportunity for me to kind of succeed at anything because mm -hmm. I just felt like a failure at virtually everything. And drama and performance were, it was kind of the one thing that I naturally gravitated towards that I truly loved. And I suppose it was the one thing that at least I was told by other people that, you know, I was half decent at. Mm -hmm. And I got very, very lucky is, is, is the truth of the matter, that I had an opportunity come my way kind of very early on. I was 12 years old. Um, a casting director came around to our school, was looking to cast a, a kid in a movie. Um, I think I got very lucky purely because I looked like what they were looking mm -hmm. for. I kind of matched the, the vision that they had for the character. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of just, kept kind of sort of slipping through the net of the audition process. Um, and I was also obviously very fortunate that my parents were supportive of that. Yeah. They're, from, they're in the medical field, mum's a nurse, dad's a professor of cardiology. You know, it's like their son being an actor was a bit like their son wanting to be an astronaut. It was a <laughs> bit of a, a mad pipe dream, but um, that was my first opportunity. And then with that, I think I, I gained a new perspective on school and of, on life in general. I felt very lucky that I sort of found my purpose mm -hmm. early on. And then school became something where I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. I've engaged with my passion. I found something I can potentially do for, for, for a long time, potentially, if it goes well. Yeah. So school kind of became my, my plan B and I was okay with that. And I actually worked harder because maybe the fear of, the fear of failure was, was less after that mm -hmm. point um, because I felt like I'd already succeeded in just finding something that I was really passionate about yeah. basically. Do you still get nervous? Oh my gosh yeah. 
Really? Yeah, I really do. It's interesting, when I was performing or acting, not so much. After I got my first lines out, whatever, I'd be okay. But I would get nervous. Nowadays, you know, public speaking in front of 10 people, I'll get nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, as a kid playing sport, I used to throw up before games. Yeah. I used to be absolutely paralyzed with fear yeah. playing sport. But acting, not, not as much. Yeah. Um, and I think I was braver uh, when I was a kid than I, than I am now, definitely. Really? But yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, in that respect, in, in terms of sort of getting up in front of people and, and performing, yeah. I found something the other day, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> I've got my phone here because I had to screenshot. It's a quote from you, apparently. Oh, gosh. And I was in hysterics, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my so, gosh, I'm nervous. It says, <laughs> um, I quote, it's difficult to tell whether people are looking at you because they recognise you from your work or just because you're six foot three inches and have the eyebrows of Satan. It's difficult to distinguish between the two. <laughs> so we're going to dissect this. Yeah, right. All right. So yeah. let's talk about the eyebrows first, the, the <laughs> Satan eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. I think when it comes, actually, no, I'm going to be silent. You tell, <laughs> you tell me about your eyebrows. What's the, uh, how do you feel about the eyebrows? When I was younger, self-deprecating humor was something that I naturally felt comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Felt totally fine doing it, had no issue with it. I think one thing I didn't necessarily anticipate is that in engaging in the same kind of tactics for the purpose of being funny, mm -hmm. the narrative would sort of run away from me. And then I think I sort of blinked and suddenly social media was kind of taking sort of pop shots at me mm -hmm. or people were kind of mocking me online mm -hmm. without me sort of being in control of it. Mm -hmm. And you sort of have to kind of except that you relinquish that control. People are free to see, say whatever they, mm. they want. But, oh my gosh, the eyebrows thing is kind of minor to me. I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that bounces off the thick skin. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's true because I get recognized a disproportionate amount. Like, I, I don't think I get recognized a lot because I've done a ton of work. I, I, I'm, you know, I've got friends who've done way, way more stuff than me. Mm. Um, I just think I get recognized because I just kind of got one of those faces and I'm quite lanky. So it's like, <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite hard to kind of go about the world without sort of being recognized a lot. And, and quite often, you know, people don't know what it's from mm -hmm. or it's not because they have any idea of who I am. They're just kind of staring like they recognize that How face. How does that feel when you know that someone is staring at you and they're trying to figure out, is it him? Or where's he from? Or oh, I recognize those eyebrows or... Yeah. Like, it's a, it's weird. I, I mean, it's all it's all, it's never not been yeah. odd, um, and I, I think that's also probably something I need to kind of like continue to do some work on um, because for a while I, I think it really exacerbated my anxiety, mm. you know, in public spaces, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it still can, you know, it can it can make kind of navigating the world sort of scarier than I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm naturally quite anxious, and then mm -hmm. having people recognize you or you know sometimes the way that people conduct themselves in those scenarios yeah. isn't isn't ideal but then i appreciate that people kind of forget themselves in those moments yeah. and, and and are liable to misrepresent themselves so you know that's that's okay so i really want to know because obviously this podcast is all about how people have faced adversity or setbacks in their life mm. and you know they've had those rejections whether it's from you know relationships or business, career, whatever it is. Mm. And, and that hurts. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are, whether you're the most confident person in the world, mm. 
that rejection, that no, it stings. Mm, yeah, mm. I mean, it stings you as a child and even as an adult. Mm. But how do we kind of overcome that? How do we kind of seek out the next opportunity? So I would really love to know about any times in your life where you've had that rejection, you've had that no or constant no's, mm. how you felt in the moment and, and, and how you kind of overcome, overcame those. Yeah, I think I was I was always a very like sensitive child mm -hmm. as well. Um, and from as from as early as I can remember, I always kind of was conscious of having mental health issues mm -hmm. before I was even able to kind of identify what anxiety was yeah. or what depression was, or et cetera, or before I actually got diagnosed with anything. So that definitely textured my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also and grown increasingly aware of just how fortunate I've been, you know, and 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 how privileged I am in so many mm -hmm. respects. So that has of course you know, made my journey uh, my journey easier mm -hmm. in, in lots of ways. But when you choose the profession of an actor, while there are a lot of benefits that come with that, rejection is something mm -hmm. that you kind of just have to, you kind of just have to make friends with. Yeah. And I'm not even sure I'm even necessarily there. Yeah. You know, I think the like inner child still sometimes kind of takes over when I, you know, fall head over heels with the prospect of playing a character or I become too romantically attached to a to a project or a script or whatever, you know, I, I still need to learn not to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I have people who who guide me and offer me really good counsel in that respect. Um, but rejection is just part and parcel of the job, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I guess I've been auditioning since I was twelve, and I'm now twenty nine. So you know, coming up on eighteen years down the line, yeah. I, I still sometimes I find it difficult to kind of accept those losses and not take them hugely personally. Mm -hmm. And gosh, there are, there are, I mean, countless examples. I mean, a number of times I thought about quitting acting completely. Really? Only because I just, I went so long without working mm -hmm. and I got so scared. I think, I think old fears probably returned in a sense, mm -hmm. like old fears about actually not being able to, to kind of do it um, sustainably, you know, for, for, for the purpose of it being my like career. Yeah, there were a number of times I thought about quitting, like... And what would you have done instead of acting then? I, I, I've always said I'd like to have been a chef. Clearly. With the, the whole food. With the whole food, whole food thing. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm better at eating than I am cooking. <laughs> that's the issue. And the other thing that's an issue uh, regarding my ambitions as a chef is I struggle with time management, mm -hmm. which I'm going to partly blame on my dyspraxia, but yeah. we can come back to that. Um, <laughs> and um, I struggle with, with, with multitasking. Yeah. So the notion of sort of having, you know, five pans on the hob and three orders coming yeah. in and th that, that already, even just saying that out loud kind of scares me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, so there've been a number of, uh, of occasions kind of looking back where the rejection has taken me to a point where you just begin to question whether you're, good you know, enough. whether you're good enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and whether, whether, whether you can do it. And there are, there are a number of those. That's tough because you're, like, you're in a really competitive industry where... Mm. I mean, I'm not an actor, but I imagine that like, you, you know, you get the script, you go for audition and you, you do the lines and then do they tell you straight away that you've got it or you haven't got it or they say like come back for another audition? Is how, What's the whole process like? Because I imagine it's quite, you have to be quite thick skinned to go through that. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you do have to develop that. And, it, and, and it's kind of ironic because I think a lot of people that find themselves going into acting, they are naturally quite sensitive mm -hmm. they have kind of access to their own sort of emotional makeup mm. that um serves them on the one hand because it allows them to play different characters and explore you know different kind of 
parts of the emotional spectrum while they're working. Yeah. But then it's also to their detriment because you take rejection harder, or yeah. you, you know. But the process, you know, it, it, it shakes down in a number of different ways. I mean, sometimes you don't hear back anything and you're just anxiously wondering so you'll whether never you... Hear, you just never hear anything. I've had that before where you just never hear back. I've been in scenarios where I've had directors shake my hand and say, um, congratulations, you've got the job, I'll see you on set. And then like a week later, I've yeah. got an email from someone who works for them to say yeah. they've cast someone else. That's that's oh, happened. That's, that's got to sting. <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. Uh, but more often than not, you know, people kind of behave professionally, mm -hmm. and you're told, you know, more often than not, for one reason or another, that, mm -hmm. that that it isn't for you. And it's on you to to realize that you're you're in the business of, you know, of applying for jobs, yeah. you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and and so you do have to develop, as you say, a bit of a a thick skin. One of the questions that I sent to you before this interview today is I wanted to know about your childhood and I wanted to know about books that kind of evoked those strong emotions when you were growing up. Mm. As an author, a children's author, I know the power of books of and how they can change someone's life. So would you like to tell us what was your favourite childhood book growing up? Yeah, this was a fun one actually. It's called uh, Mama Toro, The Peach Boy. Really a uh, creative, interesting story about this young Japanese boy who is born inside of a peach mm -hmm. and is tasked with going on an adventure by his family uh, alone. Um, it's like a big sort of test of his kind of maturity. And the thing that really sticks out in my head is him being given these hot, fluffy donuts to take with him. That was the thing that like, that was the lasting image. Really? I was a greedy child uh, and still a greedy uh, human being just in general. And actually like a common denominator across all the books I really enjoyed seemed to be food. <laughs> I could think of a single book that didn't have some kind of food reference. And there was something as a young kid, I think seeing an, another young person engage in this sort of maturity journey that was mm -hmm. so exciting. You know, um, and I think I was like willing to engage with it on a kind of fantastical fictional level because, yeah. you know, separation anxiety would have meant I, I probably would have got 10 yards from my own home before <laughs> I sort of turned around. But seeing this kid bravely embark on this journey on his own mm -hmm. and interact with sort of, I, I, if I remember correctly, like different animals along the way, it was really, really inspiring. And I can just, I mean, you'll know this yourself, but kids are just prepared to listen to the same story over yeah. and over and over again, particularly yeah. if it's a good one. And I, I think I heard it a thousand times. So one question I really love is, you've probably been asked this or you've probably heard it, what would you, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, mm. but we're gonna flip it, okay. okay? So if Will's younger self was right here now, what would he say to you? Oh, wow, that is cool. Thanks. That is cool. <laughs> Because I think it's very easy as an adult to tell your younger self the advice because you've gone through it and you've lived it. Right, in hindsight, it's 2020. Exactly. Mm. But your younger self who hasn't lived through all of that yet and is still excited about life or worried about certain things, yeah. um, what would Will say to you now? This is the thing is I think if I'm completely honest, I think the younger me would still be so consumed with worry Yeah. that I think the younger me would, would say kind of don't lose grip on what you have right yeah. now don't lose sight of how lucky you are you know this is everything you ever wanted um as a kid and uh or as me and uh <laughs> don't 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 let it go don't let up keep working your your hardest and i i don't know whether i'd necessarily 
disagree all that much. Like mm -hmm. if I was talking to my younger self, like adult to younger self, I don't yeah. know if, if, you know, if I think about it in the, you know, traditional format of that question, I don't know if I would disagree with that all that mm. much. But I, but I, the thing I would add now with the hindsight of 2020, I think is to try and take care of myself in the process. Mm. Cause the young, the young person, I think the young me was so consumed by the fear of failure. Mm. And I was so busy trying not to fail mm -hmm. that I didn't really take stock of where I was potentially succeeding yeah. or, or really kind of enjoying the moment. Yeah. Um, and taking care of my myself, you know, in between whatever the next job was or, you know, role. So let's talk about people around you because I think that you're quite a private person. Like, I suppose so, yeah. Um, social media, how do you mm. feel about that? Love-hate relationship? It terrifies or, me. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think some people use social media, you know, wonderfully, and I think it can be a really powerful tool. It's how we connected, yep. for example. There are a number of amazing, you know, relationships and, um, you know. Do you actually remember how we connected? Twitter. Yeah, and do you remember what message I sent you to get you to come and read my book? I'm trying to remember now. Okay. It was around Buster Finds His Beat. Yeah, so my children's book, Buster Finds His Beat, I was like, I want Will Porter to read it because A, I think you've got such a lovely tone to your voice. Oh, We'd been connecting, you know, via Twitter and things mm. like that. And I thought, I'm just going to ask because if you don't ask, like, you're yeah. never going to know. So I thought, no, but I have to make it a little bit more, you know, exciting <laughs> as opposed to like, can you just read my book? <laughs> so you probably won't remember this. I sent you a voice note attached to like this video clip. You know Shrek? the film Shrek. Yes. You know yes. the cat? Yes. You know they have all these memes with the, the cat and his eyes are really big and he looks really sad. Yes. So I used that picture of the cat with the big eyes and then I sent you a voice note over it. I remember, remember? this now. <laughs> Please, can you do this for me? Yes. If you don't do this, you've got, you're, you're a robot basically. <laughs> I was like, please, could you do it for me? And then I didn't hear from you for about three months. And I was like, perfect. Oh, Great. no. And literally every so day I would, you, yeah, you are. I am it's terrible. okay, it's fine. You, you know this by now. <laughs> and every day I was checking these DMs and thinking, he's not got back to me. Oh, this is really embarrassing. This is really embarrassing. And then I no. literally went into my DM to try and delete the message. No. And then I saw you typing. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God. No way. And for about 10 minutes, I was just waiting for this message to come through. And then you were like, yeah, sure. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, that's it? Amazing. Brilliant. And we did that and we did quite it. recently. Yeah, we did that quite recently. And I thought that was amazing. But I think it's one of those things where, again, <clears> I was just like, I was scared. I was like, this isn't a Hollywood actor. <laughs> really, he, he is really busy. Although I've never identified as Hollywood actor because I grew up in West London. So it's so funny when people are like Hollywood actor, I'm like, I've never lived in Hollywood and I really don't feel like I belong there. But well, like, according sure, to Google, like, whatever, you are Hollywood. And Wikipedia, you are Hollywood actor. So take it if you That's want so it. Um, but yeah, I was so over the mood when you said yes. And, and I think I spoke to Alex, my husband, that night and he said something to me that... You know, he's a, he's a clever guy, Alex is. Um, but he said something to me For like... sure, he did why, all the animation in the book. Yeah, so. and I was like, yeah. why, why would he not say yes? He's just a human being. So he's going to do it if he wants to do it. And if he doesn't want to do it, he won't do it. It's got mm. nothing to do whether he's an actor or not, is whether he wants to do it or not. I was like, all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is like sourcing out those opportunities, isn't it? Mm, it was like, mm, mm. I want to do something. I want to collaborate with this person because yeah. his values are aligned with mine. And I think yeah. he's a really cool guy. And, 
and it just so happened that the universe was on my side that day and it happened so that was brilliant well i'm, I'm so glad it did and, and that's that i think is an example of where social media is really great you know where it does connect people um and, and not just people whose you know interests are aligned because i think you know it's really important that social media doesn't erode at the opportunity to learn from people yeah. with other kind of you yeah. know opinions or whatever unfortunately i think the culture of social media largely speaking fosters arguments mm -hmm. rather than you know healthy debates yeah. or the opportunity to really learn i think people kind of tend to get sort of siloed a little bit and then for me it's less the uh you know it's less the sort of town square where the uh you know important social issues are discussed as it was recently described by the uh, new owner of Twitter. And it, it, it's, it, it actually more resembles a series of kind of fences with people kind of yelling at each other yeah. over the fence without even knowing what the person on the other side of the fence looks like. Yeah. In lots of ways, it is a threat to people's mental yeah. health. For me, it's been really important to kind of view social media as something that while it's incredibly influential mm -hmm. and, and sort of seemingly ever present, it's, it's, it's a party that you don't have to go to and you don't have to spend the entire time at that party. There's an invite, mm -hmm. you can dip in, mm -hmm. and you can leave at any point. I like that. And come back at any yeah. point, but it's not, you know, this 24-hour rave that you have to be at at yeah. all, all, all times. Yeah. For the sake of my own mental health, that I've had to look at it that, that way. And I've had to develop a relationship with it, whereby I can take care of myself and also feel good about the way that I'm engaging yeah. with it. Also for me, if I'm being completely honest, you know, my instincts don't lead me towards self-care. Mm -hmm. And the concepts of self-care and self-love, like, honestly, the terminology, it struck me as sort of a bit cheesy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, self-love, I was like, yeah. oh, well, that, like, you know, yeah. I, I get the concept of, like, loving other people, but, yeah. like, turning that inwards just feels a bit kind of selfish, yeah. I don't know. And it's interesting, you know, I think somewhere along my kind of mental health journey, I sort of also came to terms with the fact that while it sometimes goes against your instincts mm -hmm. to like straight away help other people or measure yourself according to what kind of impact you're making on others, coming to the realization that you can't actually take care of someone else or mm -hmm. you can't outwardly project love, positivity, etc., unless you've given it to mm -hmm. yourself in the first mm -hmm. place. Like unless your cup is full, you can't yeah. fill up anyone else's. Yeah. That was a huge, you know, moment of realization to me and again like have not realized the answer have yeah. not you know far from completed it but i think that that notion of starting with yourself so that you have enough to be able to give yeah. outwardly has been a really valuable lesson yeah and i think when it comes to that like self-love self-care it looks different for every single person absolutely and i think we shouldn't be so hung up and thinking that self-care means like yoga and green juices and meditation right, right. and if that's not your jam then you don't do it 100%. and I think you have to come up with your own description um, of what it means to you absolutely and then apply that day to day absolutely yeah sometimes it's a good book and fluffy donuts yeah. you know it's like there's the food again there you go you know <laughs> yeah, uh. brilliant <laughs> so 18 years in mm. what changes would you like to see made within your industry if I could give you like a magic wand now and I can say you can change whatever you want in this industry, mm. whether it's to benefit you, to benefit others who are kind of like climbing that ladder, what would you like to see changed? I mean, we've spoken about this mm. before and obviously, you know, with, with Just Like Me books, you're, you know, actively making these changes as far as making sure that um, media, content, art, you know, is championing kind of inclusivity mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. representation. And that that's something that I, I, I love seeing signs of that within yeah. our industry. I think it's 
it's growing, um, at least in front of the camera and on yeah. screen. You know, we're seeing more inclusivity and representation and that's fantastic. I think that needs to continue behind the camera as well. Definitely. You know, all the way up the kind of ladder, so yeah. to speak. Um, so that, you know, the, the, the people empowered with making the big decisions, you know, mm -hmm. are, are also reflect those same kind of efforts to be inclusive and, and representative. I'd love to see mental health destigmatized yeah. fully. I'd love to see mental health get the respect that physical health gets yeah. because I really can't point to any reason for it other than the stigma that currently exists. Yeah. And so for that to be properly destigmatized de would be great. And again, I think we're seeing signs of it. Yeah. You know, I really, I really do think there's massive progress being made and there's some wonderful work being done across a number of different mediums in, in literature and in film and television. In, in the theatre world, but if I could wave my magic wand and, mm -hmm. and do it like that, that would be something. I'd yeah, love I love that, I love that. I think like mental health, we are hearing from people from all different backgrounds and ages and the ethnicities talking about mm. it, because it's something that collectively, universally affects everybody regardless of their age and their gender and their socioeconomic background. Mm. But it, again, I feel like, I was talking about this to a friend the other day, and you know how like with this whole social media era that we're in yeah i think that sometimes we can find it really easy to you know type a hashtag like you know be kind or mm -hmm. hashtag mental health and then we leave it at that yeah and yeah, we feel yeah. like we've done our bit mm -hmm. when in reality that is the easiest thing that we could possibly do right the other things that we should be doing in my humble opinion is you know when you speak to your friend and you say hi how are you doing and they go i'm fine and you go, no, are you really okay? Yeah, you ask the question yeah, again, yeah, yeah. because we're so used to saying things like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm cool. Absolutely. And then you move on to a new subject, like, do you want to go out? Do you want to do this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we're in this age where everything just feels really rushed all the mm. time, do you know mm. what I mean? Like we don't mm. spend enough time actually having these long conversations with people, yeah. finding out about their backgrounds, finding out about what's going on in their life at the moment. Yeah. And I feel like we need to be having more of these conversations also at a really young age as well. Yes, you know, when absolutely. It, when your child comes back home and you say, how was your day? And they go, fine. And then you leave it at that. Right, like, do you know right, what I mean? right, it's like, yeah. I just, yeah, I feel like we have got so much work to do. I think there's amazing people, yourself included, the, the way that you use your fame and your platform for, you know, anti-bullying and, you know, you've been a great supporter of the work that I do as well. You work with the oh, black curriculum. Do you know what I mean? I, I think this is great. And it's just getting people to have these conversations and knowing that we don't necessarily have to have the answer. Mm, I think mm. we're constantly scared that we have to fix somebody or right. say the right thing. Right. And in reality, we just need to listen. Right, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the, the power of listening, 100%. Yeah. And, and engaging in those, those conversations. Yeah. Um, I think that's so true. And what you said about you know, those kind of automatic responses to, how you doing? Yeah, fine, yeah. thanks, how we are you? We all do it though, don't we? We just do it, just it's kind like of automatically. It's like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think we were also somewhat kind of indoctrined to believe that if you went any deeper, it would be kind of odd, yeah. which, which, which I totally understand. Yeah. Um, there's a book that I read recently um, called Permission to Feel um, mm -hmm. by a guy called Mark Brackett. And um, about halfway through it, and he made the point in this book, he says exactly that, that, you know, people ask people how they are multiple times every day, but mm -hmm. how often do you actually get the honest mm -hmm. answer? And you don't want to burden someone mm -hmm. or you might not, you know, reveal exactly what's going on because of, you know, I don't know, an issue with time yeah. or wh whatever it is. There's a million different excuses for not really saying how you, how you feel or reasons, but there would be major, I think, progress made potentially if now and again, people actually took that opportunity mm -hmm. 
you know, or felt if the stigma wasn't mm. the way that it is, if people actually took that opportunity to really say how they were feeling yeah. and then they find themselves opposite someone who yeah. may also be able to share something and, and, and suddenly there's a, there's a conversation that can potentially lead to kind of some version of healing. Yeah, definitely. Um, which, is, which is really uh, really nice to think about. Do you still remember the rap? The TLC <laughs> rap from Meet the Millers. Do you still remember it? Honestly, I don't think I do. I have to say, that's probably one of your best before, but I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but it is brilliant. Oh, it's very it kind. It is brilliant. I, yeah, I, I, pro I probably do, but I, I retired from rap, which uh, the, the world is very glad uh, for. I retired from rap the moment we got that scene if in the camp. If nobody has seen this, you have to go on YouTube. There's <laughs> lots of clips of it on YouTube. And, uh, and Will is doing the um, TLC uh, waterfalls, the rap section, and he does it epically. And yeah, Very kind. yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So yeah, definitely check that out. Okay, and final question. I can't believe we're already final question. It's gone so quick, right? So again, this is all about next opportunities. Mm. I would like you to connect me to the next opportunity. So therefore, mm. can you think of somebody who you would love to be a guest on the Big No podcast? Don't tell the name. Okay but just give me your reasons why you would like me to connect with them. The person I have in mind would be fantastic for this podcast because like you, they also identified something within the world of education, mm -hmm. should we say, that directly impacts young people, mm -hmm. which could be improved in the name of sort of kindness and inclusivity. And they're also a very, very inspirational figure also someone I have a fair amount of contact with on social media, <laughs> someone who also knows I'm bad with my DMs, but uh, also a friend and someone who is really, really, I, I think, I important regarding so many of the subjects we discuss, you know, like, like mental health, mm -hmm. like empowering young people and listening to them, like trying to better the, the school experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and those kind of formative years. And this person's done a lot of work and continues to do a lot of work to kind of make that better and to, to make school a safer and happier place. And it's someone who is actively doing work to, to kind of realize that opportunity. And, you know, here's a lot of no's mm -hmm. as well and has had a lot of setbacks, but perseveres nonetheless. Well, we'll see if we can make it happen. Yeah, I'm excited for crossed. it. Thank you so much for today. Pam, I've had so much you. fun. You I've have been it. amazing. You have, like I said, graced our screens, worked with amazing people. Um, and I'm going to quote you. You have said that you have had many pinch me moments in your career. And this is definitely a pinch me moment. Oh, Pam, Pam. that's so sweet. <laughs> that's so sweet. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you. It's been an honor. And thank you for being on the Big No Podcast. Thank you. Super Will Porter. Thank you, very much. <laughs> thank you, everybody.